Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, please. We began a little series last Sunday morning that we entitled That Old Time Religion. And it's the old time religion that needs to become the new time religion. The Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1 and verse 12. Warren Wearsby, one of my favorite Christian authors, has written a little book entitled Something Happens When Churches Pray. And that's the title of our message this morning. Something happens when churches pray. Acts chapter 1 verse 12. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem at Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went into an upper room where abode Peter, where abode both Peter and James and John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. Acts chapter 2, please, verse 41. The Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verse 41. Peter has preached his tremendous sermon message on the day of Pentecost. Three thousand hearts are pricked. Verse 41 says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. That's the New Testament blueprint. You're saved, and then you're baptized, and then you're added to the assembly, you're added to the fellowship. That's God's blueprint. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And then Acts chapter 4, please, and verse 31. <clears throat> and these are all references simply to prayer in the early church. Acts 4, 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they speak the word of God with boldness. Something happens when churches pray. What is the greatest need in our churches today? What is the fundamental problem in our church circles today? Well, there is the problem of getting the gospel to the outsider. That's a big problem. There is the problem of finding the right Christian people for the various activities within the framework of the local fellowship. There is the problem of finance. There is the recurring problem that's often created by the lack of love and unity that prevails among believing people. There are problems galore. But I believe, dear Christian friends, that all these problems only touch upon the circumference of the situation. For I believe that the real problem is the prayer life of the church. And if that were solved, every other problem would find a solution. The real problem in every church, is to get the members and friends of that church together upon their knees in prayer. The Cinderella of the church today is the prayer meeting. Leonard Ravenhill in his book, Why Revival Tarries, makes the following pertinent observations. He says, Poverty-stricken as the church is today in many places, she is most stricken here in the place of prayer. Ravenhill says, we have many organizers, but few agonizers. We have many players and payers, but few prayers. We have many singers, but we have few clingers. 
We have many pastors, but few wrestlers. We have many fears, but few tears. We have much fashion, but little passion. We have many interferers, but few intercessors. We have many writers, but few fighters. Feeling here, says Ravenhill, we feel everywhere. Spiritual adolescents say, I'll not go tonight, it's only the prayer meeting. And yet, my dear friends, the first church meeting described in the book of Acts was a prayer meeting. Not a business meeting. In fact, I can find hardly any business meetings in the Acts of the Apostles, but I find plenty of prayer meetings. Indeed, the book of Acts contains at least 30 references to prayer in its different, in its different settings. The local church rises or falls with his praying. If you ask the average church member, they'll say, no, the local church rises and falls with its preaching. Now I believe in preaching, and I believe in the primacy of preaching, but my dear friends, prayer was behind the preaching of the apostles. Peter was a man of prayer. Paul was a man of prayer. The early church believed in prayer, and when they prayed, something happened. You see, prayer is the thermometer of the local church. The spiritual temperature of Lurgan Baptist Church rises or falls depending upon how God's people in this fellowship pray. It was John Bunyan who said, Prayer is a shield of the soul that's a sacrifice to God and it's a scourge to the devil. In the book of Acts, we see prayer accomplishing all of these things. And so I want to talk to you for a little while this morning on the subject, something happens when churches pray. pray. What did happen? What was so special about the prayer life of the early church? I want to give you three things this morning that I trust will help us in our corporate prayer meetings together. First of all, look with me at Acts chapter 1. I notice first of all what I'm calling a diversity of people were represented. A diversity of people were represented. It's interesting to notice the variety of people involved in the prayer meeting. Look at Acts 1.13. For one thing, mature leaders were there. Look at verse 13 of Acts 1. When they were come in, they went into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James, all the apostles were there. These men who had been with the Lord Jesus throughout His public ministry. These men who had recognized the tremendous emphasis that Christ had placed upon prayer. They had, they had watched Christ, the man of prayer, and now they were seeking to follow in His steps. Had they not, al had they not also received the Great Commission? The risen Lord had told them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And doubtless, that had sent them to their knees in prayer. Look for a moment at Acts 3 verse 1 and you'll find an interesting combination. Acts 3 verse 1, here's what it says. Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. Church leaders must pray together. Now, Peter and John were two opposites. They were two opposite kind of people, but they went to pray together. They had fished together. They had prepared the Passover together. 
They had visited the tomb together. They had witnessed together before the Jewish Sanhedrin. Later in Acts chapter 8, they would go to Samaria together. And here they were praying together. Is it not amazing that today, Christian men who fish together, who play football together, who play golf together, who socialize together, who drink coffee together, cannot pray together. My dear friend, this morning let me ask you, has God placed you in a position of responsibility? Has God placed you in a position of leadership? An elder? A deacon? Someone in a place of influence? Let me ask you, let me challenge your heart as I challenge my own heart. Are you an example to the rest of the flock in the place of prayer? How can we encourage others to be present if we are never present ourselves? Mature leaders were there. Look at verse 13 again. Loyal women were there. Notice what Dr. Luke says. He says, These all continued, verse 14, with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women. Who were these women? My dear friends, it's probable that these were the women who had followed the Lord Jesus all the way down from Galilee, right down the Jordan Valley, right into the city of Jerusalem. These were the women who had saw His crucifixion, His burial, rejoiced in His resurrection. Mary Magdalene, Mary of Bethany, and Martha, and Mary the mother of our Lord, verse 14, was quiet, were quietly taking their place. You'll notice that Mary the mother of our Lord is humbly praying with the others. She takes no lead. Peter does that. The others do not pray to her. There is no claim by Mary to be the mother of God. The others have no notion of praying to her to intercede for them with her son. Mary was simply another earnest believer who was gathered around the throne of grace. Here were women who were lovingly devoted to the Savior and they were there. What an immense debt we owe in our churches to faithful, praying women. Those who have a burden for prayer. Those women who know how to pray. My friends, are you beginning to see how representative this prayer meeting was? Mature leaders were there. Godly women were there. Look at verse 14. It says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus and with His brethren. Young converts were there. They hadn't believed in Christ, His brothers, in His earthly ministry, but they did trust Him after the resurrection. Moreover, we read those who were converted on the day of Pentecost continued steadfastly in prayers. What a lovely scene Dr. Luke is bringing before us here. The apostles. Those who had been with the Lord Jesus for three years, the new converts, those who had been saved at just a short time, and yet both were at the place of prayer. When God restored me as a young teenager, one of the first things I did was to participate in a prayer meeting. A group of us used to meet on a Saturday night in Banbridge. And then we would go out across the border to Dundalk to preach the gospel. And then we were meeting again at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning to pray. You see, my friends, the Christian life begins with prayer. The Christian life matures through prayer. It was Spurgeon who said, Prayer is the autograph of the Holy Spirit upon the renewed heart. 
Why must young converts pray? Well, for one thing, when a person gets saved initially, there's that exhilaration, there's that enthusiasm. A new believer is prone to live on that feeling. And then the devil shows up and begins to create problems. And if a Christian lives on feelings, if a Christian lives on fellowship, he will feel. But if he lives on prayer, he will grow in the Lord. My dear friends, prayer acknowledges the Lordship of Christ. Prayer gives evidence that we know the Father in heaven. Prayer shows that we know our weakness. Prayer and the Word of God go together. Because we believe the Word of God, we pray. And because we pray, we better understand the Word of God. I'm just pulling aside the curtain and letting you see who's here. Mature leaders were here. Loyal women were here. Young converts were here. Chapter 3, verse 1, humble servants were here. Peter and John go up together at the hour of prayer to the temple. In chapter 4, upon their release from prison, they attended a prayer meeting. Now listen. They had seen thousands saved. They had seen 3,000 people saved on the day of Pentecost. And that was the more reason to attend the prayer meeting, that they would continue to know the same humility, the same power, and the same unction of the Holy Spirit. The last thing I want you to notice in this regard is that godly brethren were there. If you turn over to chapter 6, you'll see that there was a crisis in the early church. Multiplication sometimes brings murmuring. People begin to get neglected when a church grows. That's what happened in Acts 6. And so the apostles decided, and some believe that this was the origin of the deacons, the apostles decided to say to the congregation, Look out seven men, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, verse 4, but we will give ourselves to what? Continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now, let me ask you this morning, who attended the prayer meeting of the church in the first century? Who needs to attend the prayer meeting of the church in the 20th century? Well, mature leaders were there, loyal women were there, young converts were there, humble servants were there, godly brethren were there. My dear friend, let me ask you this morning, are you there? Are you present when God's people unite to pray? Do you realize that this, is the mo- that this is one of the most important meetings of the week? Do you attend regularly? My dear friends, we seem to have time for everything else, time for socializing, time for entertainment, time for recreation, but no time for prayer. Let's shut down the prayer meeting. Propose that at any annual general business meeting and you'll probably be shut down what? Shut down the meeting that has been the hallmark of the fundamental church for centuries. And yet many who would vote against it do in fact vote for it regularly with their feet. They stay away. Is that you? Are you voting by your absence to shut down the prayer meeting? You see, my dear Christian friend, if your attitude were adopted by the fellow believers around you, there would be no need for a prayer meeting to scrap. The prayer meeting will be held on Thursday evening at 8 o'clock. This is God's call to His people. And your response and my response is neither an excuse given to the pastor, the elders, a plea to your conscience, our response is an answer to the head of the church, Jesus Christ. 
a diversity of people were represented. Come back to Acts 1. Look very quickly at the second thing that I want you to notice. A unanimity of purpose was revealed. A diversity of people were represented. A unanimity of purpose was revealed. For the early Christians were in agreement as to why they were to come together. Of course, they were here in obedience to Christ's command. Tarry in the city until you be endued with power from on high. They were waiting for the advent of the Holy Spirit. But during those ten days between Christ's ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit, they were one in their purpose. They had come together to pray. Notice how they prayed. Verse 14, Acts 1. They prayed persistently. Notice what it says. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. That word continued literally means this. They were continuing. The sense is similar to what we find in verse 13 where we read, And when they were come in, they went into an upper room where they abode. And the Greek verb there denotes sticking close to anything or person. They devoted themselves steadfastly to pray. They weren't spasmodic. They weren't erratic. They prayed constantly. They prayed frequently. They prayed perseveringly. My dear friends, was that not the attitude adopted by Jacob when he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me? Was that not the spirit adopted by Elijah when he said to his servant, Go to the edge of Mount Carmel and look Look to see if God's going to answer my prayer. And Elijah went once, there was nothing. Five times, there was nothing. Six times, there was nothing. And when the servant came back the seventh time, he says, Master, there's a cloud rising like that of a man's hand. A man's hand had been raised in prayer to heaven and left an imprint upon the very heaven of heaven. My dear friends, was this not the attitude that was adopted by Paul? Was this not the attitude that was adopted by the Lord Jesus when He said men ought always to pray and not to faint? We are to pray perseveringly, persistently. E.M. Books, E.M. Bounds in his book Power Through Prayer tells us that our praying needs to be pressed and pursued with an energy that never tires, a persistency that will not be denied, a courage that never fails. I don't know about you, but so often I become discouraged. We can become so faint and weary in the matter of prayer. Someone has said that much of our praying is like the little boy who rings the doorbell and then runs away before the door is open. And yet the Lord Jesus said, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Talk and it shall be opened unto you. And the tense of the verb there is this. Ask and go on asking. Seek and go on seeking. Talk and go on knocking. You say, but preacher, my husband is so hard. And my children are so indifferent to the gospel. And my wife is so unconcerned about eternity. Yes, but something happens when churches pray. The power of God is released. And sinners are melted by the power of God's Word. My friends, I stand before you this morning as a witness to the fact that God responds to persevering prayer. They prayed persistently. Look at that little phrase in verse 14 very quickly. They prayed unitedly. They prayed unitedly. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. How easy it would have been for this group of believers to bring division into this beautiful assembly of humble people. The members of the Lord's family might have claimed special recognition. 
or Peter could have been criticized for his denial of the Lord Jesus, or maybe he would have blamed the Apostle John, because it was John who brought him into the high priest's home. John might have reminded the others that he had faithfully stood at the cross and had been chosen by the Savior to care for his mother, but there was none of that. The key phrase in the book of Acts is found in verse 14, with one accord. You'll find it six times in the book of Acts. Look at Acts chapter 1 very quickly in verse 14. They were in one accord in supplication. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. My dear friends, are we? I wonder this morning, is there unanimity about the matters for which we pray? Is there perfect harmony between us when we pray? Look at Acts 2 verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come... They were all with one accord in one place, one accord in anticipation, waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.46, we read that they were in one accord in continuation. They continued together praising and serving the Lord. Acts 5 verse 12, we read that they continued at Solomon's porch with one accord. No backbiting, no division, no criticism. Acts 15.25 contains another reference to one accord. It says there, It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. They were in one accord in their determination. They were determined to send out the news of the Jerusalem conference, but it all began with one accord in supplication. One accord in supplication led to one accord in anticipation, led to one accord in continuation, led to one accord in adoration, led to one accord in association, led to one accord in their determination. But it all began with prayer. No wonder this morning all of us ought to be involved in the prayer life of the local church. You belong to a local church. You ought to. And then you and I together ought to be involved in the prayer life of that church. For something happens when churches pray. Well, what did happen? Well, I want you to notice this morning, not only a diversity of people were represented and a unanimity of purpose was revealed, but I want you to notice an immensity of power was released. An immensity of power was released. Power through prayer. Look at Acts chapter 1 and 2 in closing. My time is gone and I don't want to eat into the Lord's table this morning. But notice four things happened as the result of their prayer. One, there was ecclesiastical guidance. There was ecclesiastical guidance. They chose Matthias in the place of Judah. Do you think it's right for the church to be called to pray when they're considering a pastor, an elder, a leader? They prayed here. Notice there was spiritual exuberance, ecclesiastical guidance, spiritual exuberance, verse 4, Acts 2, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Verse 31 of chapter 4 says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. That doesn't happen in our prayer meetings today. Sometimes you have to shake the Christians to wake them up after the prayer meeting's over but not here. My friends, there was ecclesiastical guidance, there was spiritual exuberance, there was personal assistance for how powerfully, how dynamically, how clearly, how doctrinally Peter preached the Word of God on the day of Pentecost. And then there was evangelical repentance. 
for 3,000 were pricked in their heart and they cried, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Some years ago, five young students stood outside the Metropolitan Tabernacle on a July evening. It was sunny, it was sultry, it was hot. They were standing there on a Sunday night waiting for the great doors of the tabernacle to open. And as they stood with that queue of people who were standing there just ready to go in to hear Spurgeon preach, an unknown stranger came up to them and said to them, Sirs, would you like to see the heating apparatus of this church? They weren't particularly interested in a hot, sultry July evening, but he insisted. And he brought them down around the side of the building. And he kicked open the cellar door before their eyes were 700 souls bowed in prayer, seeking God's face for God's blessing upon God's work about to be preached in the room above. You say he was the greatest preacher the Baptist ever had. He probably was. But behind him he had a church who meant business with God. You say he was the greatest soul winner since the Apostle Paul. He probably was. But behind him he had a people who knew how to touch the throne of grace in prayer. Power through prayer. My dear friends, listen. The early church didn't have any beautiful cathedrals in which to meet. The early church didn't have a lovely building like the Iron Hall or Lurgan Baptist Church. The early church had no elaborate service. The early church had no ritual. The early church had no seminaries. The early church had no Bible colleges. The early church had hardly any New Testament scriptures. But the early church had power. The power of God that comes through prayer. I finish. Let me ask you this morning, do we as a church desire the power of God in our midst? Do we believe that we need a move of God? Do we mean business with God? Do we long for souls to be saved? Thank God for those who have been and are with us this morning. My dear friends, do we long to experience the presence and power of God in our meetings? There's only one answer. There's no shortcuts. Prayer. Much prayer. More prayer. For something happens when churches pray. I tell you, if it was your loved one who was launched into eternity in Oma yesterday, and they were without Christ, you would be broken hearted this morning. Some of our some of our loved ones are on the very precipice of hell. And yet we haven't even the concern that would drive us to the prayer meeting on Thursday night or Sunday night. My dear friends, are we only fooling about? Or do we mean business with God? He's counting on you, on a love that will share in his burden for prayer for the souls he has bought with his lifeblood and sought through his sorrow and pain to win home yet again. He's counting on you if you feel them.
what they are. Let's pray together. Father, we thank Thee this morning for the challenge of Your Word. Help us to get back to the basics in these days. Grant our Father that we might be a church that will know how to touch the powerhouse, the power room. Grant our Father that we might be men and women who will know what it is to lay hold upon God. And our Father that this might be, this fellowship might be a light in a dark place. And that through its witness many will come to know the Lord. Lord, make us in these days, men and women of prayer, and grant that we may believe with all our heart that something happens when churches pray. We ask it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.